and welcome to the Innovation Forum podcast for Friday 13th of May with me, Ian Welsh. Continuing our reflection on the recent Innovation Forum Sustainable Apparel and Textiles Conference, a few days ago I spoke with Caroline Leddle, Head of Product Management Textiles at the Lensing Group. We talked about how fibres for new apparel and textiles products can be made from recycled content and the challenges inherent in getting apparel sector brands to align on material use. And we've got some reflection on this week's Innovation Forum Future of Food event online. First though is some sustainable business news. Deforestation rates in the Brazilian Amazon are continuing to reach record levels. Following record monthly highs in January and February, April also reached highest ever, with more than double the amount of forest destruction that occurred in the same month of 2021. In total, well over a thousand square kilometres was cleared in April alone, according to analysis of satellite data from the Brazilian National Space Research Agency. In the first four months of 2022, total deforestation in Brazil amounted to 1,954 square kilometres, up 69% over the same period last year. Speaking to Reuters, the director of the Amazon Environmental Research Institute said that clearing of the forests has become institutionalised with record after record being broken. Environmentalists, of course, blame the policies of Brazil's president, Jair Bolsonaro, who has relaxed environmental protection. Reports from Malaysia suggest that government there might be about to cut the export taxes on palm oil in a move designed to grow market share and also as a recognition of the global shortage of edible oils resulting from the Russian war in Ukraine. Export tax on palm oil is currently 8% and the proposed cut could bring this down to as low as 4%. Malaysia is the world's second largest exporter of palm oil behind Indonesia, which has recently moved to ban palm oil exports, albeit temporarily. Palm oil prices have surged 35% in 2022, exacerbating global food inflation and raising risks of malnutrition around the world. New research from climate charity Possible has found that the international aviation industry has consistently failed to meet climate targets over the past decade. The headline finding is that only 1 out of 50 targets was met in the period. Published targets were revised or ignored. Possible argues that the airline industry can't be left to self-regulate itself, to decarbonise, as it has failed to make the necessary progress over the past 20 years. The charity argues that targets have suffered from a combination of unclear definitions, shifting goalposts, lack of public accountability, and in some cases, simply being quietly dropped entirely. Better news from the Science-Based Targets Initiative, which has reported that by the end of 2021, 2,253 companies with market capitalization of $38 trillion had committed to having emissions reduction targets verified by the initiative. The number of companies making the commitment more than doubled during 2021. Across the planet, 27% of companies regarded as high impact have now set science-based targets for emissions reductions. Of the targets set in 2021, 80% are aligned with a 1.5 Celsius pathway. Companies have until 2025 to update any two Celsius aligned targets to 1.5 Celsius. The Innovation Forum's spring event series continued this week with our online Future of Food conference. It was a fascinating few days and I enjoyed catching up with old contacts and meeting new people. At the end of the event, I tried to pull together some of the themes that emerged. Here's a recording of that now. What remains evident is the scale of the challenges for the food sector, but it certainly feels that the conversations, in this sort of forum at least, have clearly moved from debating the why to really thinking about what the how is going to look like. Across a number of sessions, we heard continually how important has been the adoption of science-based targets when addressing carbon impacts of agriculture. One panellist described them as critical in delivering credibility. 
brand leaders need to understand the climate challenges and then bring consumers into the picture. Once consumers are better informed, they will start driving the sector forward, demanding products that are more sustainable. It feels that this process has already started of brands empowering consumer on choice. Business models have to change, that we heard many times. When I was wrapping up Innovation Forum's recent apparel sector conference a few weeks ago, I made the comment that we have a turning around the oil tanker problem, and that is the case for food production too. Producing as much as possible, as cheaply as possible, has become ingrained with grower communities. That's what the market has demanded. But now that demand is shifting to requiring lower impact farming. But that tanker takes time to turn around. Efficiency has to be a key route to tackling the challenges. More efficient use of fertilizers, for example, and using fertilizers that are not dependent on fossil fuels, particularly given the ongoing conflicts, fertilizers that are not beholden to global natural gas markets. Certainty of supply and price can be established via switch to using renewable energy. Also, more efficiencies on food waste. As we heard earlier today, if food waste was a country, it would be the world's third highest emitter. We have all heard the estimates of a third of food not making it from farm to fork. That has to be dealt with. Farmer incentives across everything are crucial, as is making sure they're properly involved in the conversations. I was taken by what was described as an outcomes approach when working with farmers on regenerative agriculture. It's clear that there is no one-size-fits-all solution to Regen Ag and other things for sure. And certainly farmers are best placed to know what works on their land. There was certainly agreement that regenerative agriculture needs to become the new baseline approach. As someone put it earlier in the week, there isn't any alternative if we are to survive as a species. But don't forget that farming incomes need to be sustainable before there is any realistic chance of change. The farmers we heard from earlier today were clear that they feel they've been asked to deliver on sustainability with continued downward pressure on price. However, for leading companies, the era of brand colonialism in terms of dictating practices does seem to be receding, and an increase in the need for developing relationships of trust with grower communities and the need to be humble is developing. Involving those who the farmers trust is important if, for example, you're proposing a change to established practice, no-till farming being an excellent example. Farmers have been ploughing since farming became a thing. So if you want that to change, you need to have trust. Across the sessions, there was certainly a clear humility and honesty about the challenges. And part of the honesty is, of course, being prepared to be challenged. Now, it was great to see the CEO of GBS being prepared to come and be involved in an event such as this. Pace of change and frustration at the lack of it has been a common theme. There are inevitably inherent drags on getting on with it, particularly around company-to-company collaboration. But as we've heard, Everyone accepts that cooperation is essential. We've heard everyone saying we can't do this alone. So key takeaway for me really is collaboration, collaboration, collaboration. The Innovation Forum conference programme will continue with the Future of Climate Action event online from the 7th to the 9th of June. We'll be joined by experts from Diageo, Nestle, Intel, Mattel, GlaxoSmithKline, Unilever and many more. And the spring series is completed on the 14th and 15th of June with the in-person Future of Food Conference in Minneapolis in the US with panels featuring the likes of Cargill, Kellogg, PepsiCo, Kraft Heinz, Mondelez and Danone. And as we featured last week, if you are quick and sign up by 13th of May, you can save $200 on conference passes. Expert interview time. Following the recent Innovation Forum Sustainable Apparel and Textiles Conference, I spoke with Caroline Little. Head of Product Management Textiles at the Lensing Group about some of the exciting opportunities in developing more circular models in fibre supply chains.
give us the quick elevator pitch as to what lensing is and what you guys do. So I would say in the easiest way, lensing is a company that takes the raw material wood and turns it into materials for the textiles and non-wovens business. We take bio-based and renewable raw materials like wood or recycled cotton, and we turn it into a fiber that's mostly used in the textile industry for different applications from denim to active wear to home textile. And they not only give you a good conscious as a company and a consumer, but they have also very nice performance benefits and they just feel great when using them. What characterizes the companies that you work with? All of our partners, whether it's textile manufacturers or brands and retailers that we work with, they are also conscious about the environment and their impact on the environment. On the other hand, they want to create textiles that feel good and they also look good. What brings us together is this sense of change, of building something new, of innovation, and all of that by having a lower impact on the environment and just trying not to create too much waste, to create too many emissions, whether it's to air or to water, when producing fabrics, textiles, or garments. What are the primary challenges inherent in developing fibers from recycled source materials? We also have one product, so one fiber. It's called Tensile with Refibra technology, where we use partly cotton, so cotton waste, as a raw material. So it's a recycling process. And that sounds maybe easier than it is. It took us quite some time to develop the technology not only from a recycling point of view, but also being able to reuse this recycled material in our fiber production. Some of the challenges are mostly the fact that we produce a fiber and it has a certain quality aspect. So you always want it to be white in order to be able to create then the colors of your textiles or your garments so even in the recycling process, we try to create a fiber that can be used like a virgin fiber. So it's really white. It has the same quality standards so that our partners and the textile industry can use it in a way to create a lot of new and exciting designs rather than having to deal with different kind of shades or different kind of qualities. This is also crucial, I think, for the consumers, because often recycling is associated with lower quality or products that don't look good or they don't feel good. So in our case, we really try to keep the standards high. And that comes with certain challenges in cases of how good you need to run your process and how well you need to know also the recycling, the raw materials that you're using and how can they be recycled? That's, I think, one of the challenges is specifically looking at then post-consumer waste. This is where we all want to go. So take back everything that has been worn and cannot be used anymore. And there are some of the challenges are the fact that 
you don't know what's in there. You don't know what kind of chemicals have been used, what kind of washing processes have been done. So you basically enter a black box and you get materials you have no idea about and you try to convert them into a fiber that can be broadly used and just go out to the consumer market at something new and shiny and versatile. What does Tensile compete against in the conventional fiber market? When we look at Tensile as a brand where we have two different fiber types, which are called Modal and Lyos, I would not say competing. We also rather think ourselves as ideal blending partners to some of the fibers that are more commonly known. For example, cotton. I think everyone knows cotton. You can use our fibers ideally to blend them with cotton. So you stay also in effect that you use natural materials, you use materials that are bio-based, they can be recycled, they can be biodegraded or composted at the end of their life. But we also know that for others, a lot of our customers and partners use polyester because it gives a certain performance. So our fibers can also be used together with polyester competing are mostly fibers and materials that have a very high environmental footprint. So that's basically what we stand against within the textile industry, rather than saying, for example, cotton is the enemy or polyester is the enemy. But what we all need to know, I think, in textile industry is the fact that we use a lot of materials that come from fossil fuels. They create also, for example, microfibers that go into the ocean. I think we've all heard about the fact that we also have plastics found within our bloodstreams now. So what we try to do is also raise a little bit the conscience of our partners and consumers to say, you can create fantastic fabrics, garments, or home textile products without using materials from fossil fuels. And of course, listeners, if you want more information on the precise nature of Lensing's fibres in this course, there's loads of information on their website about that. So thinking back to the challenges around developing such fibres, how do you think that apparel and textile sector businesses can help you? I think how the apparel sector or even the textile sector can help us in also developing new fibres or new innovations is in collaboration. When we just think about what we talked before, our fibers with recycled content, there I think collaboration is super important. Collaboration in terms of what kind of materials are you using now in your products? Can they then later on be reused or recycled? That's a big challenge, but that helps us in creating more innovations, being able to better recycle materials. And the more information also we share together as partners in a way of how to treat our fibers, but also what's in a product, what's in a t-shirt, how can it be recycled or take back into the system that really helps us in creating new recycling streams and new technologies. Now they're specifically on recycling, but the same goes for other innovations and other product developments. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you mentioned collaboration. That's something that's came up at Innovation Forum's Sustainable Apparel and Textiles Conference. That's something that people were talking about a lot. How realistic do you think it is to expect 
apparel sector brands to align on material use and to collaborate on material use when it has been such a point of differentiation in the past? Yeah, I think that we might overestimate the fact that there are so many different materials used or have been used in the past. When we look at textile industry, 60% of overall material being used is polyester and 25% is cotton. So there is a big volume of certain fiber types being used in textiles over and over again. I think the variety rather than comes from how do you blend them with each other? How does the fabric look? What kind of constructions do you have? It also needs a certain rethinking of can I use cellulosics with cellulosics or can I use synthetics together with synthetics rather than thinking about, oh, no, I'm super limited in what I do. We need to think about how can we create exciting and innovative fabrics by using only, for example, cellulosic. So how can I blend cotton with our tensile cell or our tensile modal or maybe with linen in a way that it gives me a performance benefit and also creates some new look or new feel. And the same then goes into the part of synthetics. Because when you look at recycling mostly, if you keep cellulosics with cellulosics and synthetics with synthetics, also recycling becomes much more easy. The real challenge starts when you blend them all together and have three, four, five different fibers in just one garment. And there the real challenge starts. It needs a lot of innovation power from the textile industry. But to my experience, there is definitely this innovation power. So I see it as a very positive trend and I'm pretty sure that it will be possible for the industry as a whole to further go into this single material use. You talk about blending. Are you able to use blended fibers as the source material for your tensile products? When we look at our tensile refibra fibers, on the one hand, we use 100% colored cotton as one of the raw material feedstocks. But we also have a collaboration with a Swedish company where we can use blended materials. So it's a very abundant blend in the textile industry, which is uh, polyester cotton blends. And we can use them when up to 50% of polyester, but the less polyester and the more cotton, the better for us and the process. But basically, yes, we can do so. And we're also working on further increasing our capability to use blends, especially everything that includes like elastane, which is widely used. And we're doing their development and commercialization steps from time to time. But everything you do on a very large scale also takes some months and years to come online. It's a long process. The process of developing these products is always going to take some time. Currently, you can use up to 30% recycled content in your tensile products. What does the journey look like from 30% to, say, 50% recycled content? And then beyond that, what does that look like? And what needs to happen for that to be possible? The 30%, I think we're already on a very good level. This really makes an impact, also looking at waste streams. What do we need to do collectively to increase the recycled content? First of all, I think is really look at 
where do we get all the raw material for recycling? A lot of textiles are still thrown away just into garbage. I know that within the European Union, but also the UK, there's a lot going on to increase this collection of all textiles. And this will be the first step. Get the raw material and then be able to also recycle it. That's, I think, the, the crucial step there. Get more raw material, get more recycled, we call it pulp. So the raw material then. From a fiber production point of view, I think we're on a very good way. And we have also set some targets for us from our sustainability targets and reporting as Lensing. So we want to offer a fiber with 50% recycled content by the end of 2024. We are not only excited, but also positive that we will be able to do so. And then last but not least, we also need to create the market demand for that. Yeah? And people being able to communicate it so that the T-shirt you're wearing was made out of a fiber with 50% recycled content. And it still feels great and looks great. It's not only one step, but everyone in the textile industry needs to work on that. But we're pretty sure that by the end of 2024, we will get there and be able to offer our partners a fiber that has this high recycling content. Is the ambition to move beyond 50%? And where is that ambition? What, do you want to get to 75%, 100%? What's possible? 100%, that's more of a vision, I would say. Is it possible on a laboratory scale? Yes. On a commercial scale, I never say never, but this will take still not months, but really years to go. At the moment, I think we're very happy by reaching 50% renewable wood and renewable resource wood. It gives a good balance. Also from the point of view that you get some benefits when using wood as a raw material. One of them would be that you create also energy in the process by using wood with this 50-50 blend of 50% recycled material from post-consumer waste and 50% wood from certified sources, we can create great products and also create our own energy supply in the meantime, which I think is also dearly needed in times like that. You mentioned just now that one of the routes to having more recycled content in materials is collecting of raw materials. How much of a barrier currently is a lack of raw materials for you from a lack of returned apparel garments? I think it's a big barrier, to be honest. It's not only that materials or garments or textiles are not returned. It's also the fact that the sorting industry now is really building up more capacity in order to be able to identify which material needs to go to which recycler. But yes, we need to definitely start collecting more garments and more textiles in order to facilitate the recycling of textiles and garments. I know you just launched a new collection that's called the, the Tree Climate Fabric Collection. Can you tell us a bit about that? Well, what's special about it and, and what it's doing that's new and innovative? The Tree Climate Collection is a fabric collection that we developed together with our partners in the textile value chain, so mostly fabric mills. And this collection really features low environmental impact fabric 
mostly for performance applications, so basically for active wear. These fabrics, they have reduced carbon footprints, reduced water impacts, but also have very good performance in terms of breathability or moisture management. What we wanted to show there is what's possible by using wood-based fibers, not only in terms of performance and how it feels, but also what positive impact you can have compared to, I would now call it conventional fabrics. It's very true that while you're developing these innovative products, they have to perform as well as the products that they may replace, otherwise people won't buy them. So it's so they must perform correctly, they must feel great, and generally be as good as the conventional product. Isn't that correct? I would even say the great thing is that often they even perform better than what you see conventionally. Just by using Tensile cell, for example, you can really improve breathability of, let's say, your running shirt. Or you have also better moisture management, so it just feels better when performing activities. Another example would be, we have those fibers that are for the filling of jackets or like down which also keep you warm in winter. You can use them for pillows or for duvets, but you can also use them in outerwear or running performance vests. And also there you create a better environment for your body. So we not only see them performing as good as other materials, but often even better. And I think that's also necessary because it's new, it's an innovation and you always need to show the benefit to create the market pool. What's next for Lensing? What's coming up over the horizon? What's coming up? I think we just had a very exciting first quarter also for our Tensile brand. In 2022, we're not only celebrating 30 years of Tensile, but we also just started up a new production line in Thailand so I would say what's next is definitely showing the benefits of our fibers to even a broader audience in the textile industry and also having further consumer education about what is the tensile brand, what are the benefits of the fibers, how nice does it feel wearing and using garments and home textile products. That's really what we're trying to do this year and then look at more recycled content. And I think we always have one or two innovations in our sleeves. Well, it's been great to hear about some of the innovations that you've been working on to this point, and I look forward to hearing about further innovations in the future. But for now, Caroline Liedl from Lensing, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. As ever, the Innovation Forum website is the place to go for all the latest analysis and interviews. And don't forget that you can save $200 if you register before close today, 13th of May, for the in-person Future of Food Conference coming up on the 14th and 15th of June in Minneapolis. Everything you need to know about that and the remaining Innovation Forum Spring Event Series and what's coming up later in the year is available online. But that's it for now. I've been Welsh and until next week, goodbye.